continuing in our study through the book of Daniel. And last week we witnessed Daniel interpreting a dream uh, that God gave to King, King Nebuchadnezzar. The context, uh, the content, excuse me, of the dream had some already prophetic uh, fulfillments, which we looked at last week, and about the four kingdoms rising up and all that that already happened, and then some not yet prophecies, things that we're still waiting for, like that ten kingdom confederacy to come together and the second coming of Jesus. Now today we're going to move into chapter three, which takes us roughly. 15 years after chapter 2, and it really has no prophetic impl implications per se, but there are some issues that are go we're going to see that actually have implications for Christ and him coming and all that. So this passage is a is a very popular Old Testament passage. And a lot of times people learn this passage in Sunday school when they're little kids which is really kind of odd because it's pretty dark and scary, okay? So we bring our kids into Sunday school and then we scare them with stories like this. And it's really not the best idea, but that's kind of like how the church has been. Not just our church, but like most evangelical churches. So the basic lesson we're going to learn today is when we do the right thing, even in a situation when doing the right thing seems like a bad option, God is faithful to us. You get that? When we do the right thing, even when doing the right thing seems like a bad option, you look at things logically and you're like, well, if I make that decision, I know it's the right thing to do, but it really seems like a bad option, so maybe I should do something else. Well, the truth is, when you still pick the right thing, God is going to be faithful to us. So we're going to start off in, uh, in chapter 3. I'll see how nice this thing is to me today. Last week, it really wrestled with me. Uh, so it starts off, Daniel 3, verse 1. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So King Nebuchadnezzar, 15 years later, after this whole dream, he makes a statue. Some suggest this statue was actually a statue of himself, but the text obviously does not specify that it was actually a statue of himself. But we know this. It was about 90 feet tall. It was about 9 feet wide, and it was plated in gold. It probably wasn't solid gold because the resources just weren't there. So it was probably plated in gold. It's, um, he put it out in the plain of Dora, which is basically a big field, so everyone from far and wide can see it. So if there were any enemies around, any people around, they saw this big statue and they knew, okay, this is Babylon, this is their kingdom. So here's what he does. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent together the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, and the counselors, and the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, and the counselors, and the treasurers, and the justices, and the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So now we see this main purpose. He builds this big statue plated with gold, and basically he's making this statue as an image to worship. 
Now, whether it was intended to be a new God, like this is your new God, this big statue of maybe it's him, maybe it's not him, but whatever it is, whether it was intended to be a new God or it was intended to be a symbol of loyalty to Babylon, whichever it is, okay, what he was doing here is he was commanding everybody in the land to actually fall down and bow down to this. So whether it was a god, like little g god, or whether it was like a symbol of loyalty, it doesn't really matter. What, what, what does matter is they were commanded to actually fall down and worship, okay, and, and, and state their loyalty to the king and to Babylon. Okay, so this is what heathens do, right? This is what godless people do. Well, let's see what they do next. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be immediately cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Nice guy, right? Okay. If you don't do this, we're going to kill you. Death penalty, okay? The way the death penalty worked for them at this point was you're going to be thrown into a fiery furnace. So interestingly enough, it seems the king anticipated that some would have a problem with doing this. So right out of the gates, he made a decree, said this is what's going to happen. Okay, so he made, this, he made this statue, he made this decree, and he already anticipated, okay, I think there's going to be some people who have a problem with this. It's probably going to be those Jewish people that we took into <laughs> captivity. So in case there's a problem, this is what's going to happen. There are a couple of things I want to point out at this point in the account. And the first is, Although government authorities are ordained by God, they can abuse their God-given authority and lead people down the wrong path. Hey, in the weeks past, like I, I said it a couple of times in the weeks past, right? God places the authorities in where they are. And then we look at the world and we say, man, what, what is God doing? Okay, we look and we see bad leaders everywhere. What's going on? Why is God allowing this to happen? Well, let me just tell you this. Even though, God, even though leaders or are ordained by God, it does not mean they're going to be perfect or it does not mean that they're not going to make bad decisions and abuse their power. That's what Nebuchadnezzar was doing. Because remember, in chapter 1, it said God rose Nebuchadnezzar up in Babylon and he actually allowed them to take the Jewish people captive. So in, or, in other words, just because they're in charge, doesn't mean they're doing the work of God. You get that? Just because they're in charge doesn't mean they're doing the work of God. The second is for those of you that are believers and have children. Let me just tell you this. We can never force true worship on our children. Do you realize that? You can never force. Some of you who have adult children now, you're realizing that, okay? I could bring them up the way that they should go. I could teach them. I could guide them. I could lead them. I could bring them to programs and services that the church has, but I could never force faith on them. I can never force faith on them. But what I can do as a parent is, you know, be faithful, do all the things that we're called to do, like teach our kids those things. But what we really, what really has the power is we need to model it in our own lives. That's what really has the power. We need to model in our own lives. We teach them about it. We pray for them and that they will ultimately have faith in their own lives because their faith is between them and God. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was, was creating a culture here, right, of fear. If you don't do what I say, 
we'll kill you, okay? People are like, okay, I'm going to get in line. Hey, I'm just going to do this because I don't really feel like dying today. It wasn't on my list of things to do. So when I hear the band, I'm going to just stop what I'm doing and do this. There's no real faith there. But the truth is, there's no real God there either, okay? So that's the thing. So he doesn't know, you know, which way is up at this point. So let's see what happens next. Therefore, as soon as all the people heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, tri trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples and nations and language fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. As expected, when you tell the people they're going to be killed if they don't do something, they're probably going to fall in line. And really, when we think about this, so we read through this, we hear this, but could you imagine what that scene must have been like? What the scene must have been like in the land. All of a sudden, this orchestra starts playing. And then everything gets quiet and everybody bows down. Could you imagine like the magnitude of that moment? And the feelings that King Nebuchadnezzar must have of pride, right? Look at that. You know, I snap my finger and everybody bows down. So then, it wasn't everybody. <laughs> Therefore, at the time, certain Chaldeans, which were that priestly uh, class in Babylon, came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the hornpipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So now here we have a couple of tattletales. Okay, we have a couple of tattletales, and it's not surprising because if you remember last week in chapter 2, roughly 15 years before that, these guys were promoted. And you know what happens when you're promoted? You usually take somebody else's job, right? Guess whose job it probably was? It was probably these guys. So they were on the prowl. They were looking around. How are we going to mess with these guys? How are we going to mess with these guys? So I would imagine... Their promotion did not go over well with the Chaldeans so they, because they got bumped out of their positions. So they went and told. Let's see how the king responds. Then King Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods? or worship the golden image that I have set up. Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall be immediately cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? So they're confronted by the king, and he basically is willing to give them another chance. Whether it is that he didn't believe the accusers, which could be true, he might not have believed them, or he valued them because they had been doing good work in the kingdom for 15 years, whatever the reason was, he was actually 
going to give them another chance. So one question that comes up at this point, though, is where's Daniel? Okay, where's Daniel? Because what I know about Daniel, I don't think he would have bowed down to the image. So where is he? Well, the text, if you read the text, it does not specify at all. So we can only assume that, one, he was excused because he was so high up and so close to the king. Or another, maybe he might have been away on foreign business for the kingdom when this whole thing happened. We don't know. We can only assume. But we do know this, that Daniel wasn't one of the guys bowing down. So let's see what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do and say. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So now we have the response. The response is this. We're not even going to bother answering you. There's not a chance that we're going to bow down to the image. So save your time and don't bother the orchestra. Okay? <laughs> Basically, that's what they said. Don't even tell them to start playing because it's not going to happen. In this response, we see their faith in the Lord, but not only their faith, that we see that they have confidence. No matter where this ends, we did the right thing. Because one, they say, he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But I love this. He says, but if not, okay, but if not. So they have confidence and they say, God can. And in fact, here they say, God will. But if not, we're still not going to do what you want us to do. We're still not going to listen. They're basing on doing the right thing, on it being the right thing, not whether or not God will deliver them. You get that? They're basing doing the right thing on solely the fact that it is the right thing to do. They know that as believers in the one true God, they only worship the one true God. They know the commandments. So this is extremely important for us today because we need to follow God and do the right thing no matter what the possible outcomes are. See, when the authority commands something contrary to God, what God commands, the believer must follow God. So when the authorities above us command something contrary to what God says, we are to follow God and not the authorities above us. Romans 13 and Acts 5 are New Testament examples of obeying government, governing authorities unless they tell us to disobey God. So we're called as believers to obey the government unless the government says to do something that's in disobedience to God. Sometimes in life, we're more fearful of the outcomes than we are of disobeying the Lord. You get that? We're more fearful of the outcomes. Well, if I do this, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could have easily been like, well, if we, I mean, let's just get with the program here. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't mean anything to us. We're not really worshiping this. Like, he just wants us to bow down. So the music plays, we bow down. We're safe, okay? Because can't we do better work for God if we're safe? Okay? <laughs> and, you know, and, and those are the thoughts that go through your head, right? Can I do more? Can I live longer? Can I be healthier? Whatever it might be. 
So we look at the outcomes and we have more fear of the outcomes than we have fear of disobeying the Lord. And sometimes we face the wrath and consequences from the authorities for disobeying, the, for disobeying them and obeying the Lord. So that's what we're going to see next. Needless to say, Nebuchadnezzar was not happy with their response. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression on his face was change. So basically, you can only imagine him standing there, okay, Shadrach, Meshach, like, I like you guys. You guys are good guys. Like, you're a servant in the kingdom. Like, I'm going to give you another chance. And they're like, nope. And all of a sudden, his countenance, he's mad now. He's furious. His face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than is usually heated. That's probably a literary device to kind of say he made it really hot, okay? How did he do this? Probably oil, whatever it was. He just made this really hot. He was mad. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning furnace. Because the king's order was so urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the fiery furnace. Now, they're thrown into the furnace, right? So if you're anything like me, you need to picture this a bit. Like, what's a furnace? You know, I have a furnace in my house. It's metal. It's like, you know, gas, whatever. What does it look like? This is probably something like what it looked like. If you could see on the left-hand side, it goes up. This obviously isn't the furnace that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in. But this is probably something what it looked like. So the men brought them up, probably up to the ledge, and threw them in. So you can only imagine that this furnace was so hot and the flames were going so crazy that the guys that brought them up to throw them in were just burnt up. That's pretty much kind of the mental picture that we have here. So they get thrown in, and here's what happens. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. So now we have Nebuchadnezzar looking in that bottom opening, that furnace that I showed you. So he's looking in the bottom opening, and he's seeing four guys walking around the fire. Very, he was astonished, okay? There shouldn't be anybody walking anywhere, okay? They should be dead right now. And then he says the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Now, let me just tell you this. There is nothing in any other scripture in all of the Old Testament or the New Testament that states the identity of this fourth figure. In fact, in verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar actually says, God sent his angel to deliver you. But most theologians agree that the fourth figure was not just an angel, okay? Nebuchadnezzar didn't know what he was looking at, right? 
He didn't know what he was looking at. So most agree that the fourth figure wasn't just an angel, but it was actually Jesus himself showing up. And they call it the pre-incarnate Christ, meaning this, before Christ came to earth in the flesh, because incarnation means the embodiment of God in human flesh. So this is a picture of the pre-incarnate Christ, Jesus showing up. Because remember, when Jesus was born on Christmas, little baby, it wasn't that he came into existence, okay? He is God, and he came to earth. He took on human flesh and came to earth. So he already existed. But we can't expect Nebuchadnezzar to be like, oh, this must be the third person of the Holy Trinity. And, you know, like, because he doesn't know any of this. He doesn't know what's going on. So there are two things I want to point out from this appearance of Jesus and how it's a reminder and encouragement to us. And this is why we teach it to little kids. You know, and, and, and the truth is, it, it ends light. Like, okay, it ends with light. It's not all dark the whole time. But the first is this. Jesus is present. They had a difficult situation, and Jesus was present. Jesus was right there with them in the fire. Our closing song today is about that. There's another in the fire. It's one of the only songs that I know of that's written about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Okay. Many times in life, we feel like when things are going well, that God is with us. God is for us. Things are going well. And we say things like, he's got my back. Somebody upstairs is watching me, right? These are, these are claims that people say. When things are going well, we feel God is with us. And when things are not going well, how do we feel? How do we, honestly, how do we feel? God, where are you? God, have you left me? God, I need you right now, and I'm in my darkest hour. I'm walking around in a fiery furnace. I need you right now. But when things are not going well, we may be tempted to feel like God has left us, and we ask, where is he? Where is he? Is he present? Well, Psalm 46 one says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in when? Trouble. He's a very present help in trouble. Know this, that Jesus showing up in that fiery furnace just reminds you and I that God is there, even in the darkest hours of our lives. You know, many times in our lives, we don't question where God is because things are going well. But the real question becomes, when things are not going well, is God there? Is he around? Does he care? If this God loves me so much, is he here with me? The next is this. The pre-incarnate Christ, or Jesus, it's a reminder of Jesus delivers us. Now, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were delivered from the fiery furnace, this is a picture of the deliverance we have in Christ when it comes to salvation. And when it comes to salvation, we are delivered from, really, eternal fire. That's what we're delivered from. Look at John 3, 36. It says, whoever believes in the Son, this is Jesus talking, whoever believes in the Son will have eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. This is a picture of the gospel. You see, when Christ was dying on the cross, do you know he was taking the wrath and punishment for our sin? Okay. Sin needs to be paid for. 
Sin needs to be paid for. And some people say, well, that's not very loving that sin needs to be paid for. Well, guess what? When someone sins against you, do you think they should pay for what they've done? Okay, we have a sense of justice. So this world is built around justice. And the truth is, because we sin, no matter how small the sin is, or no matter how great the sin is, it deserves punishment. Well, the loving God that we serve was willing to take that upon himself. He was willing to take the punishment for our sins, in our place for our sins. So when Christ died, the ugliness of the cross, it wasn't like God the Father was just doing this for no purpose or to say, like, this is a symbol of my love. No, he was saying, here's what's happening. Here's what you deserved. I'm willing to take this in and of myself for you, in your place for your sins. The scriptures tell us this. Jesus says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. So this picture of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being delivered from that fire is a picture of us being delivered from an eternity of paying for our sins. And it's what we deserve. But Christ was willing to take it in himself for us. So now let's get back to the account. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning, fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, prefects, and the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over the body, bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had, had come upon them. Now, this is pretty crazy, right? Because, you know, when we put, like, when we build a little fire out back, right, and you want to hang out and build a little fire, you're like, come inside, you're like, oh, man, why did I do that? We need one of those gas fireplaces, right? Because we smell like smoke. These guys were literally in the fire. In the fire, not singe. They don't even smell like smoke. Obviously, this is a miracle. And protection from God is the only logical explanation on how anything like this could happen. So then, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel, this is what I was referring to, and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. So now we have this beautiful phrase that King Nebuchadnezzar says. Notice like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego don't say anything. They're not like, whoa, <laughs> like check me out, okay? They don't say anything, but the king says, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, there's four things that Nebuchadnezzar rightly points out in this verse. One is that God delivered them. Two is they trusted God. Three is they disobeyed the king in order to obey the real king. And four is they yielded up their bodies as a sacrifice to God and to no one else. You know, when I read this, when I was studying this, I was like, 
there's a New Testament counterpart that really reminds me of this. And it was our scripture reading today. Because some of you, when, when Gavin read the scripture, Romans 12, you're like, we're not in Daniel anymore. We're still in Daniel. And here's what I want to remind you of. Romans 12, 1 through 2, Paul says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. This world, the world they were living in, said, every time you hear the orchestra, you bow down. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are standing in the corner saying, uh-uh, I'm not conforming to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Think of the transformation that went on these guys. We're going to die if we do this. But we know that we're not supposed to. So this is like a conflict of faith, right? They're like, well, here's the thing. Either I get with the program or I get killed. But now I'm thinking, well, you know, I know God doesn't want me to get with that program. He doesn't want me to be conformed to this world. He wants me to be transformed and be thinking like he thinks and doing what he wants me to do. So then they say, well, even if not, you know what? We're just not doing this, okay? We're just going to face the consequences. You know, for us in life, we really have to think about this. This is how we as believers should live. Not only is it pleasing to God, it actually inspires others. When we do the right thing because it's the right thing to do, it actually inspires others. So this verse goes on, do not be conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. See, the more you focus in on following God, the more you learn about what God's will is for your life. People ask me all the time, I've said this hundreds of times since I've been here, people always ask me, Pastor Mike, I don't know what God's will is for my life. And, you know, they look at me as if I'm supposed to know, okay? <laughs> I know what God says about discerning his will. You have to get with the program. Be transformed. Be obedient. Listen to him. And he's going to reveal these things to you. So Nebuchadnezzar rightly speaks here, and he says all these beautiful things. Then he does this. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way than the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Well, that sounds nice, doesn't it? This guy did not really learn his lesson, okay? Here's the thing. Nebuchadnezzar was inspired, but his response was not the best way to inspire others to seek after God. Because it's trying to force faith, isn't it? Scare tactics really don't work and really don't rightly communicate the love of God. Hey, this is not an effective evangelistic tool here. If you don't believe this, if you say anything against this, you know, we're just going to tear everybody in your house limb from limb. The God, <laughs> the good, though, that happens here with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is they're rewarded by the earthly king. They're rewarded by the earthly king. Now, this is important because here they followed after God, and there was an earthly blessing and benefit 
And now they can be used in a greater way to actually help people to see who the one true God is. You know what? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they did the right thing, even when the right thing was hard to do. And that's what we need to really take away from this. We need to do the right thing, even when doing the right thing 